I am delighted to be with James Lee Duncan Carragher. Love that. That's what mums call their sons, and it is, in fact, uh, Jamie Carragher. Married, English football pundit, uh, Sky Sports columnist, and, of course, a famous footballer, a famous, famous footballer, defender for LFC. Uh, and he's an amazing man, and I am delighted to be in his company. So, James, as your mother would call you. Yes, that is the uh, the name, and, uh, yeah, it's only a family thing. And the strange thing is that... Uh, Whenever anyone hears me get called James, there's like a, there's a look of shock and surprise on the face that they can't believe it. But uh, but no, it was James until I was fourteen or fifteen, and there's a bit of a story behind the Jamie stuff. That uh, there was another lad in uh, my year at Liverpool football year, and we both moved away from home together at uh, fourteen to sixteen uh, to Lillyshaw, which was a football school, and. Uh, because we'd come through together at Liverpool, we played the same position. I was James, he was Jamie, and we became the two Jamies. So it could have been the two Jameses, it could have been he became James, but it became uh, the two Jamies, and it, and it stuck from there. So, uh, yeah, I've got it now, stuck with it. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because mum's, I'm Pete Price, but I'm Peter. Yeah. And if my mum was alive, she'd say, his name's Peter. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's not Jamie, it's James. It's just, I, I love that, I love yeah. that. Tell me about you from growing up as a family man, as in your mum and dad. Uh, mum and dad, so we were from Bootle. My mum and dad uh, went to the, uh, a school, basically the school I went to as a youngster was St James's, but they went to one down the road called St Jones, and I think St James's was actually the senior school in those days. So they grew up on Marsh Lane Bootle, where uh, most of my family are from. They lived a few streets away from each other. Uh, I think me, me mum's a year older than uh, than me dad, and uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say the, the upbringing was. I mean, people talk about their upbringings, and, and people say, oh, "I had a tough one, I had a this one, I had a that one." I just, I think, your upbringing's your upbringing, and, and you only have one, and you don't, you don't know anything else. That was yours, really, and I wouldn't say it was too tough. It was brilliant. You know, we were probably a little bit more well off than than other families. We went abroad. When I was a kid, when I was all 10, I remember going to Spain, it felt like it was such a big deal in the school. People were saying, oh, you're going on a plane and you're going abroad. Because normally most people, like I did when I was really young, went to Butlins or things like that. So, yeah, me, uh, me mum has not moved out of the house. That My mum's been in the house now for probably over 40 years in the same house in Bootle. I love that. Yeah. Oh, she won't move. We've all moved up into Crosby. Uh, me, me brothers, my dad's up there, but my mum's never moved, no. That's amazing. When did you discover you were going to be a footballer? Well, <laughs> I I realised quite early that I was probably a little bit different. And there's two things that stand out. I, I always remember being at school and the first time our class played football, as in, like, for PE, we were on the grass and... The year above us were playing as well. And the teacher was almost trying to mind both classes. So because they were a year older, they were playing proper football, like a, like a, an eight-a-side, if you like. Whereas we were just... We had someone in goal. We were just all running around, not really, with, with no real thought of what was going on. And I remember the teacher sort of being referee in that game and just coming to check on us every sort of five or ten minutes, make sure there was no, no one was fighting. And uh, I just remember the teacher coming over and just saying... You're coming on. You, you can come on this pitch, and it just stood out to me at that age that he's obviously seen me for five minutes and went, "Okay, he's 
maybe a bit better than all these kids here. You're going to play in the proper football. So that was one thing that I always remember. And the other thing was... Me, me dad used to own pubs as a youngster. So I was in pubs a lot as a kid because of football. My dad used to be the manager of a pub, but he also used to be the manager of the football team. And, and in those days, and probably today, at amateur football, you met at the pub, you played the game, and everyone went back to the pub. That was just... that was They were my Saturday and Sundays, probably from four years of age, five years of age. So I was always in the pub. And uh, my dad had, had a few drinks. I was trying to play pool. And I remember someone saying to him, oh, I believe you, your lad's a bit of a footballer, isn't he? He said, how good is he, though, really? And he wasn't saying it for me, I just caught wind of it. And uh, he said, oh, he'll play in the first division, which was the Premier League then. It, this was probably, he would have said this probably in the mid-80s. So it was just, again, something I thought, well, it must be all right if my dad thinks I can do that, really, because I always think it's hard when you play in your own city and for your own school, because... You don't know what the players are like in London or Birmingham or Newcastle. It's okay being the best player at school or, you know, in your region. So just little things like that stick in my head and thought, well, maybe I've got half a chance. Doing what you do now, which we're going to talk about later, I'll use putting that head on as a a journalist because you've got a column as well as being a a presenter. What makes somebody outstanding? Because the first person I remember saying, like you just said then about being outstanding, was Wayne Rooney. Something. What is the gift that you see as somebody who is a famous footballer and you see in somebody go, wow, what is that gift? I I think I, I always remember... Steve Highway saying something to me, he was our youth coach, about young players. And, and what he was basically saying is, he said, it mightn't happen for you as early as some of the players. He said, because normally people who break onto the scene at a very young age have either got unbelievable pace, blistering pace, really quick, or they score goals. And I was neither. Uh, so when you see a sort of a Wayne Rooney, he scored goals, he was like a man. At 18, Wayne. Michael Owen, when he, he, he burst onto the scene, he was unbelievably quick. I mean, he just could run away from anybody. Robbie Fowler scored lots of goals at 18. So they were almost the two big things that uh, really stand out for someone really young who you think is you know, coming onto the scene. You look at Jude Bellingham now, who played for England last night, and he's scoring goals almost every game he plays. So they are the things that really stand out. But I do think, I'm talking about, obviously, physicality there as well pace and uh, an eye for goal but I do think the great players mix that with a football brain and then you've almost got everything now I didn't really have the physicality I think I had a, a really good football brain without having the physical attributes but the world class players have the physical attributes more often than not and also have a great football brain because I, I think it's difficult to be a great footballer at the real top top level if your understanding of the game is poor. Now, Evertonian, lifelong? I wouldn't say lifelong. Oh. Uh, up until probably 18, I would say, basically until I started playing for Liverpool's first team. I joined Liverpool when I was nine years of age. But even from nine till 18, until I played for Liverpool's first team. So going through the School of Excellence at Liverpool, the youth teams, the reserves, I was still an Everton fan, yeah. So did you struggle over, and did you get a lot of stick over working at Liverpool with your love of Everton? No, not really, because I think, I think when you've got a chance to be a professional footballer, 
I think things like that go out the window a little bit in terms of getting the stick. Because I think people realise, well, if I was in that position, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to, you know, my son going to Liverpool. And listen, when I went to Liverpool, I joined Liverpool thinking that would have been probably 1987. And Everton and Liverpool were the two best teams. But Liverpool was the best place to learn how to play football because they played a different type of football to everybody else in those days. Uh, but no, I was still a big Evertonian. I still went home and away to watch Everton, even though I was, I was in Liverpool's sort of stable, if you like. And uh, but it had to change, and I knew it had to change the older I got. Uh, and it's not a, it's not a sudden switch. It's not just you know one day. Oh, I was, I'm a mad Everton fanatic, and the next thing I'm, I'm like that for Liverpool. So it was more of a gradual change, I would say. Uh, as soon as I started playing for Liverpool's first team when I was 18. What's your views about this new unbelievable stadium? I think it's amazing. I love it, actually. I, I, I drive past it every day because I, uh, the gym I go to, the rotunda boxing gym is just up the road. I'm in the city centre, as we are now, most days. So either coming in or going, going out, I normally go down the dock road and go, and go past it. And uh, it just looks amazing. You can see it from so far away. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I just, fingers crossed, everything goes okay with it. You know, we, we have a great rivalry in the city, uh, and rightly so, but there's some things that, even though it's Everton Stadium, first and foremost, it does feel like it's a great sort of uh, monument, if you like, for the city. You know, where it's positioned, right in the, almost the city centre, right on the water, that's what we're famed for. And to have Everton Stadium there, it looks magnificent. It's interesting you say you travel past it every day. I worry about the road system to get in there when it's eventually full. I can't work it out, obviously, because the water's the, that side, so I can't work out how people are going to get in and out. Uh, and people always say things like, oh, you know, we'll meet at the city centre or we'll get the train and there'll be one bus that can bus 50 people in. But football doesn't work like that. People have different... People, I know what it's like. Everyone's, like, lunatics trying to get the game at different times. And, you know, and sometimes you pick someone up, sometimes they're not there one week, sometimes they want to have a pint. You, you know, it's just... I'm with you. I'm, I'm still trying to think... I, I'm not quite sure how this works, getting in and out of here, and it might be a bit of a nightmare. But it might be great for the Bramley, Bramley yeah. Moor talk and the few of the pubs on the dock road. Oh, we'll do indeed. When you were a lad, did you ever think you'd be where you are today? No, 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 no. Uh, I've always had great belief in myself, but I've never looked too far ahead. As such, not thinking, oh, what am I going to be doing in 20 years' time? Or I want to do this, I want to do that. It was always, well, what's the, what's the next thing? So that would have been as a youngster, can I play for Liverpool's first team? Can I establish myself? Can I? I'm not really getting too uh, ahead of myself, but I, I, I must say, I do think, I've, I feel like I've always been someone who's been a little bit underestimated in that I think if you, you know, we've just been speaking to John Barnes downstairs. Now, if John Barnes would have, I played with John Barnes when I was. 18, he would have been about 34, 35. And, uh, of course, to play for Liverpool at 18, you've got to be a pretty special player because it's not something that happens too often to too many players. But I don't think many players in that squad or in that team would have said, this is a lad going to play 700 games. Understand what I mean? And I think when I'm doing the TV now, people think, oh, he's a scouser, strong accent. Oh, he, you know, he'd be all right on TV, but, you know, we don't know how well it'll go or... And I ended up doing that for Liverpool, and I've done pretty well, you know, in terms of what I've done with the, uh, you know, the TV thing as well. So, 
So I think I've uh, not proved people wrong. That's wrong. But I think I think people would look at what I've done and think I didn't expect that. You know, so I, that, that's that. I think probably always goes in my favour that I'm a little bit being underestimated. You're one of those people that's done well for yourself and will continue to do well because you've got work ethics. You probably got them from your dad because yeah. running the pub was hard work. Um, what was it like when your football was starting to wane? Because nobody understands that pain. Mm-hmm. It's like I'll relate to my late night radio after fifty years. I mourned for six months. Mm-hmm. It's a big... I must say, I love that. Thank you very the much. The radio. Thank and you know why I used to listen to it? I used to listen to it on the way home after we'd played away games or we'd played in Europe and we'd get back really late and I'd drive back. Roads would be deserted. So I'd be driving back from Melwood to Crosby and I'd be listening to it, yeah. Some funny calls on there, wasn't there? There wasn't, there. <laughs> well, it's not about you, me, it's about you. You used to lose your temper now and again? No. It's <laughs> garbage, absolute garbage. So, what was it like? Did you mourn when the football was starting to wane? No. I, really? I was No, wow. I was the opposite. I was, uh, I was looking forward to finishing. Why? Explain that. Oh, wow. Because playing for Liverpool's first team for 17, 18 years takes its toll in terms of... I don't want to speak about press. Press is the wrong word because I never played for another club, so I don't know the difference. It was just I played for Liverpool. But that constant thing of being a local player, everywhere you go, everyone wants to talk about the football. Your family, your friends, everyone, everything's about, you know, the next game and the ups, the downs. It's a roller coaster ride. And, you know, we had some unbelievable times, had some tough times. And... Liverpool is, is one of the biggest football clubs in the world. It's always back page news. It's all people in the city want to talk. I've got fans all over the world. And I, I just wanted to get off that roller coaster. I just, you know, and also because I wasn't the player I was. So when you, you're going into games not as confident as you were doing probably 10 years before, you're thinking, you know what, I don't want to let the club down. I don't want to let the supporters down. And I never wanted supporters to be going to the game and the team get read out and they go, Jamie Carragher's playing. And they just a sigh of like, ugh. Because we, we all get like that with certain players. So we, we see a team come out and we think, oh, why is the manager picked him? But I didn't want them thinking that about me too much. Uh, and I think I could, could have probably played another 12 months, but I wanted to go out at the top. Jamie, what would life have been like without football? Do you ever think about that? Oh, I, I can't imagine life without... My life would never have been without football, whether I would have been a, a professional footballer or not. So if, if I wouldn't have played for Liverpool, I'd still be following Everton home and away. You know, f- for me, football is... It almost is life. It just... I couldn't not think of my life without football. I couldn't... I, I couldn't function properly. You know, that thing of, like, the buzz of a build-up to a game, the results. And not just my own team. The stories around the game and... The chatter and the talk. Everywhere I go, we talk about football. It just doesn't stop. It's interesting. When when you talk about football, um, you as a footballer can be controversial. Now, as a, a TV pundit, you've got to be careful, haven't you? You really have got to be careful what you say because in this day and age we're living in, it's horrendous with social media. Yes, it is. And there's, there's a line, you know, you, you, you obviously can't cross, whether that's, you know, people always say to me, oh, I can't believe you haven't swore on TV. You know, you know you're on it that much and sometimes you're getting animated and you're getting heated, but uh, 
I haven't crossed that line yet. Well, I'll, I'll join you on that one because as a broadcaster, nobody swears more than me off air. Yeah. You just mentally... You, yeah. It doesn't happen. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. And every broadcaster I know swears like a trooper, but don't do it on, so it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's a mental problem. You're right there. You, you've probably got more experience than me. That sort of... Uh, you just don't do it. Uh, but obviously the world that we live in now, completely different to the world that we were living in sort of 20, 30 years ago. And you, you do have to probably think a little bit more about what you're saying. But the, the best part of TV to me, to me, to be honest, are things where you're not thinking really, and it's just, you're going at it and someone's, and you react to something someone says and it creates a sparks of debate. Uh, but with this, social media for me is a very powerful tool. And I think it's very important that you use social media and don't allow social media to use you. I'm very big on that. And I'm lucky that I've got a pretty strong character in that. Not a lot on... Now and again, someone might say something that you think, oh, that was a bit strong, or that was a bit, a little bit heavy. But more often than not, I take it with a pinch of salt and I don't go looking for what people are saying about me, if I'm being totally honest. So it doesn't really affect me. So I actually think I use social media to my benefit in terms of promoting what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Um... As a broadcaster, um, and also the work you've done with it, um, uh, were you surprised how well you've been liked and received? I'm not, well, have I? You know, yeah. <laughs> you've got a great. You, well, I'm yeah. saying I'm looking at looking at the social media. I'm not so sure, but no, but that's social it's, media it's, yeah, because exactly. anybody can go da 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 send. You are very popular, and you're in a different generation because when I first started, and you were a little boy, uh, we had terrible problems with the, if you went into broadcasting, they would change your voice. Yeah, you would never have that accent. Yeah, but now it's so distinctive and great. So yes, you are popular. Are you pleased you're popular? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, 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 I never get away from the fact that we talk about football, but it's also got to be entertaining. You know, I, you, you want to watch something where you know, yeah, it's a great debate, but something puts a smile on your face. I know I'm quite, you know, being from the city that I am, I know I'm quite sharp and quick witted, and that sometimes helps you show. And you can have a laugh and a joke because I can get very passionate about football, and my wife's always telling me. Smile a bit more or have a bit more of a laugh. You know, you always look like, you know, it's, but for me, football is so, so important in my life and, and I think in lots of people's lives as well. And I am very passionate about it. But in terms of uh, how we come across, listen, it, 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 we can't say it hasn't gone well in terms of the work maybe me and Gary do together and the shows that we're on. We've been doing it now over 10 years. So long yeah. may it continue. Tell me about the relationship between Gary Neville and you because it, it's not always been good, has it? No, no, it wouldn't have been, no. I mean, we, we're very similar. You know, we're really strong, passionate, very loyal about our own football clubs, our own cities as well. And those football clubs and cities have got massive rivalries. So he wasn't particularly well liked when uh, he was a player by Liverpool supporters and vice versa with me with, with the United supporters. But I think it works because we're very similar in that we've got that work ethic. We, we always... We, we weren't superstars. I think we both understand that. Other players in the team were superstars. But what we had was a great sort of, as I said, team ethic. And that's what we try and bring on screen. It's not about making, you know, I'm going to do the show, I'm going to make myself look good and, and him leave him. It's always like, how can we make the show good? How can we make this a better show? And, and one night, it might be a night that he shines. It might be one that I shine. There's no sort of real thought behind that. It's about, you know, getting really good detailed analysis out there. We'll have a little debate, see where it goes, have a laugh and a joke. But we're, uh, we're not very precious either because I think you can get that a little bit with people on TV where 
they don't like anybody disagreeing with them. Or, and I'm, I'm thinking, it's not personal. We're trying to make something for people at home to watch and think, oh, that was entertaining, that was good. Yeah. Uh, so we can almost go at each other with no matter what, with a lot of ammunition, and the other one's just got to take it. Going back 100 years, when you probably weren't born, Charlie Williams... I hope not. <laughs> Charlie Williams, a comedian, who was on The Comedians, was a footballer years ago. I think he played for Halifax. Okay. I think he got 17-6 a week. Uh, we got them to Ian St. John and uh, Alan Ball, who I loved both of them dearly. dearly. And then the money was good. Yeah. Then you, another level, yeah. and now... It's at the most ridiculous level. What's yeah. your thoughts on that? I, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I think Why? Why don't you have a problem? Because, I'll I, I tell you what, what I would say is I think, <coughs> I would say probably 80% of footballers come from working, working class backgrounds where if you probably looked at the family and went back a little bit, they've probably, a lot of them have probably had it really tough. Uh, a tough upbringing, uh, you know, the family maybe struggled in the past and maybe going back a few generations found it tough. And if they've got someone in there who can... And this is what I, I, this is what I try and do and I hope players do, but I think the majority do do. I think if you find yourself in that very fortunate position is that you look after your family and you look after people around you, whether that's through charity and what... And I, I am a big believer in sort of... You know, if someone's done really well, you share that a little bit. I'm not saying you have to give all your money away, but I do think you should never forget where you come from. And I think a lot of players, being working class, you know, whatever they earn, you know, we, we see film stars earning it, you know, basketball players, singers, whatever. Uh, you know, I've got no problem with that. But as long as you treat it with respect, and respect for me is looking after people. We hear about the money that's going round over Manchester being sold, mm. and it's something like seven billion or something. Yeah, that's what they're after. Yeah, where is the, where do they pluck these figures from? I think that is overpriced. There's no doubt, but there's, but also Manchester United would be one of the most expensive football clubs you could uh, possibly get your hands on. But it, it makes me think: where do these people who are paying this type of money think the game is going to go in terms of money? Because we all look at it and think it's not worth that. But they probably, you know, they know that these are money people. But it's they're probably looking and thinking, well, where's this in 10 or 20 years' time? You know, so, you know, is, is there another explosion in terms of TV? Whatever TV game you're live, you know, I think that's where, is where it is going. I think that's why it feels like, even though the, uh, there is an American ownership of Manchester United now, it was, I think, people from, uh, what show was it, Qatar, was it? They were, were trying to. Uh, by United, but yeah, there's a lot. Just out, but there's a lot of American owners yeah, now yeah. in the Premier League, and I think my worry is not against Americans because we've got American ownership and and at my football club. But if like there's so many Americans coming in, and I just I worry that they're almost coming together and almost forming and taking our league to where they want it to be, maybe American uh, Americanized slightly, and that's a little bit of a worry for me, uh, going forward, in that, that, you know, they could do things that are not great for sort of English football in the future, and they're making decisions on issues like that. But, yeah, I mean, it, it just feels like the game is just going to become bigger financially, and that's why these people are getting involved. And also, the other thing is, you know, if, you, if you're a rich guy and you've got that much money, you know, you can, you can go and buy a boat tomorrow, 
You can go and buy an aeroplane tomorrow. There's only one Man United. There's only one Liverpool. You, you know, once someone's got it, you can't go and buy another one. So I think there's almost something of that. You've got that much wealth. This gives me one a bit more fame than I've probably got uh, owning a football club. And once I've got it, I can go anywhere in the world. No one else has got it. And I think there's almost maybe a status thing as well in terms of owning a football club. Why would you want to buy a football club? Because they're uh, a money. money pit, aren't they? Uh, well, I think if you do it right... Oh, listen, you need a bit of luck. If you do it right, you'll make money. But listen, these people coming in, they're only coming in to make money. You know, so I've got no qualms about when people look at FSG and, and say, oh, they, they've had an unbelievable time and, and deal at Liverpool. They bought Liverpool, I think, for about 350 million. They probably think it was worth 3 billion now. So they, they're one of the ones who've actually made it work. The Glazers are as well, and Manchester United. But then you look at another football club in the city, Everton, with Mashiri coming, it's been an absolute disaster for them. So we can go out either way. But people only buy football clubs, no, they've got no love for the, for the club. Uh, at all, and I've got no problem with that. Why would they? If I went and bought a, a team in America, what, what, I, I'd have no love for that team. I, I'd get involved, it'd be my team, I'd be passionate about it. But it wouldn't be no real bear of love going back sort of 10, 20 years. So we all know they're here for money. I get that. I have no problem with it. But as long as they do the job right, they respect, you know, English football, the club values. Uh, and I think in the main, uh, I think the owners, ownership at Liverpool have done that. Do you, were you surprised when uh, the Americans bought uh, Wrexham? Yes, but I think it's a brilliant story. The documentary is fantastic. And if you're a Wrexham fan, when they come in, you're in, I think they were in the conference at the time. I mean, you must be thinking, what is going on here? But they've done really well. They've gone up the league. And once I think you get the buzz and the taste for it, the excitement... You know, hopefully they'll keep putting the you know the money in and pushing them forward. It's a great club, Wrexham, great history, but it just seems so bizarre, doesn't it, to you know pick that club up? But I mean, what a time for them and their supporters. I've got to ask you about uh, ladies' football. I'm talking to uh, Jamie Carragher. What do you think about women's football? Well, I think what is done in the last sort of ten years has got to a level that I never thought it would get to. I must be totally honest about that, and I think. What the, the main team that most people watch is, is, is uh, the Lionesses when they're in a tournament or they're playing big games now. And the whole country gets behind it. You know, it isn't just like, oh, you know, it's the women's football. So now in terms of how successful they've been as well, winning the European Championships, getting to the, uh, the World Cup uh, final, you know, sadly missed out to, uh, to Spain. I think it's put it on a completely different map, not just for women football fans or men football uh, fans of the, the women's game. I think it's almost people on the street know about it now a little bit, certainly when England are playing. Oh, my my uh, mother would be a perfect example. You know, she watches me or Liverpool uh, when I was playing. But even she get behind it now in terms of, oh, you know, the women are playing tonight in the England game. It's just whether you can get the club game. I don't think the club game will ever be what the men's game is. I just don't see how that's possible because... There's just too much history and tribalism in football and goes back, you know, for men's football 100 years. And even though the women's game has actually been going on a long time, in terms of being in, like, the, uh, the real... feels like in the real public domain and people talking and knowing about it, it doesn't feel that long. So, uh, but, yeah, I think in terms of the company I work for as well, Sky Sports, they're doing a lot 
in terms of pushing the women's game. They've bought the rights for the WSL, so that's on, you know, at, at, at certain times over the weekend to try and get behind. And, uh, no, it's going really well. And I think what's really happened in this city as well, we've just had the Merseyside derby at the uh, the weekend. Everton won at, uh, at Anfield. And uh, they actually celebrated the cop ends in front of a few of the Everton fans. But the Liverpool team have actually gone back to Melwood, which is uh, obviously Liverpool's old training ground. And I was involved in that a little bit as well before they, they came in. So I think that's a great story that and it probably tells you all you need to know now about women's football. That the famous Melwood where Bill Shankly built is now the home of uh, Liverpool women's. Uh, Shankly, I met him once, God bless us. Oh, I'd love to the, have met him. He scared the living daylights out of me. He signed his book for me, and Graham Soonis was sitting next to him, and he signed the book, and I said, I don't want your signature. <laughs> Shankly's, what are you doing? Um, we had a footballer recently come out in the paper saying, I don't like women commentators on television. Got a comment on that? That was Kevin, Kevin Keegan. Keegan. yeah. Yeah, well, what I would say is, I don't think it, there's any right or wrong. It's an opinion, isn't it? So, you, you know, so that's, that's his opinion. And I saw he got a lot of criticism for it. And I don't think he should, you know. The, it's his opinion. It's his opinion. You know, if you like something or, or you don't like uh, something and he gets asked a question, he should be allowed to ask that. But certainly on the company I work for at, uh, at Sky, there's a lot of women involved, whether that's uh, presenting shows or, or being pundits. And we've worked with with plenty on show. Kelly Daglish, uh, Ken, or I should say Kelly Cates, uh, Kenny Daglish's daughter's worked with uh, certainly me and Gary for a long time. We have our own show together on a Friday night football. We go across the country together and we've had, uh, you know, different women pundits at different times. And I think that'll only grow. Certainly the more that the women's game is in the forefront of people's minds and, and they, they know the players more, if you, if you like. And I think that that's happened over probably the last sort of five to ten years where women's sort of players right now I think will be major pundits in the future because people will know them an awful lot better than maybe the players of the last sort of 20, 30 years. I'm talking to Jamie. Just a couple more questions and I'll let you go. <laughs> How important has married life been to you and family life? It's very important. It's, it's, a, it's a passion of mine as well. And that may say a, a, a strange thing to say, but I, I am big on family in that... I, I, I love my wife, Nicola, obviously. But what I mean is I love the fact that we're still together. Because I, I know people split up, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's, that's best for, for everyone. But sometimes when we come back and to uh, former players get-togethers, and you'll see people with, obviously, different girlfriends or, or wives, and you get home and you're thinking, oh, my God, I didn't expect that. You, you know what I mean? The two years of sitting having a cup of tea after the, uh, you've been out somewhere, you're thinking, oh, that was a shock, wasn't it? Uh, and I'm really proud that we're still sort of together. Got a great relationship, both born in Bootle. Uh, gone really well. Two, it's the two kids, which is just our lives, basically. I mean, it's just... I was, I was saying the other day, I mean, Nicola would have wanted more kids, no doubt. But once we'd had a boy and a girl, too, I was like, no. And she wanted more. But the worry... And the, amount of, the worry I have over the two kids and the amount of time I think about them, where are they? What are they doing? Are they OK? Do they look happy? <coughs> I just think, I mean, if I'd have had four kids, I think my head would have exploded. I just, how I could have, you know, that would have just been constant. So I'm glad it was just they captured the two uh, for us. And they've, they're doing great, yeah. Uh, they're doing all right. So, yeah, we're, we're quite proud of the kids. And, uh, yeah, what would I have done without Nicola? I think she keeps me on the straight and narrow. I would definitely say that she keeps me in check, yeah. Hillsborough, you were a little boy growing up. 
um, but you've always commented on it and you've always been passionate that we must never forget. 100%, yeah. And uh, that day that happened, that game, was, as you said, was at Hillsborough. The other semi-final was at Villa Park. Everton were playing Norwich and I was at that game. As I, said, I was an Everton fan as a kid, so that was the days of... Well, no, you know, communication, no mobile phones, and I always remember it coming over the tannoy at half time. The 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 other semi final at Hillsborough has been abandoned, and you, you and it wasn't until we got in the car on the way home, put the radio on, that you're uh, aware of you know what's happened. And it, and you know what, it was really interesting. Yesterday, I was having some lunch with friends, and you know we're all most of them are Liverpool fans. We'd be in the gym, and they were going. To, it just came up about trips abroad. And it got to sort of, it went from the late 70s, early 80s, and then we got to Hillsborough. And the, and the guy who was talking, when he was talking about, he, he started almost, he, well, he was, he, he started sort of welling up a little bit. And it wasn't that type, it was, it was more talking about, like, how he got in. It wasn't talking about, like, you know, the numbers and what had happened and, and the fatalities. It was more just about the day and how he got there and how he had to get in and... And what, and what he saw, the first thing he saw, really, and it was, yeah, you could see it really, really affected them, sort of what had happened and, and being there. But I think I think Hillsborough, obviously a terrible tra- tragedy, terrible how it was dealt with by Thatcher at the time, the police, the government, the establishment, and that's why people in the city still have a huge problem with those people. But that was one of the times when the city really come together, and I think Everton played a real big part whenever there was, the you know, the anniversary around Hillsborough have been a great help. So I think it's almost, even though it affected Liverpool Football Club, I think it, it affected the city, and I think the city played a huge part in sort of uh, coming together and almost taking the fight to, as I said, the, uh, the establishment. Last question, and it's an important one. I always finish off whoever I talk to. Advice, pitfalls for people there, out there right now who are football or want a career in football? I get asked this a lot. I've got no special words. Uh, I think sometimes we ask people things like that and we expect them these words that we've never heard. And you know what? You go back to the basics of... And I, I, I always use football because it's, it's my life in terms of life. And I always think it, it's about being part of a team. It's about giving everything. You'll have ups and downs. And that is football and that's life. I think there's always a, a real correlation between the two, really. Uh, and I just think that thing of sort of listening to people, being humble. And a thing that I'm lucky that I've got, that I was born with, is that I don't get too cocky or I don't get too arrogant. And I always think I've got more to learn or... Or something's around the corner where someone might take my place, and it keeps you on your toes. And I think having that mentality of thinking you've not, you've, yeah, you've never really cracked something. You've still, you still, you still got to do something. You've still got to sort of push on and keep improving and get better. And, I, and I've got that. And uh, I think in football, you're going to have ups and downs. You just will. And I think it's the people who have the personality and character to bounce back are the ones who get to the top. Sorry, I said it was last question. It can't be because <laughs> I forgot about Carragher's in New York. You must oh, be, yeah. you must be flattered about that. Yeah, that was unbelievable. That was just one of those phone calls that you get that you're thinking, "This is surreal." This, I'm just from Marshleen Bootle, uh, an Irish guy who's a big Liverpool fan. He had a few bars in, 
in New York, Brian. And uh, he got in touch and said, could I open one called uh, Carragher's in the, you know, the Irish name and uh, open it in New York? And I was like, my first thought was he must have been able to get hold of Stevie Gerrard. <laughs> uh, so it's brilliant. And, and what's great is I think a lot of Liverpool fans who go over there, you know, from the city or whatever, they always almost want to, they want to go to the bar. They want to just pop in and see what it's like. And it gives them a little thing of, you know, being at home. So I try and get there two or three times a year. So it's uh, it's great. He's done a great job. And I love seeing the scenes in there, you know, when Liverpool have won a big game. And, and it's a fabulous bar because there's so many fans in New York and America for Liverpool fans. Liverpool, the Premier League, I mean, football is massive. I mean, English football right now, and certainly Liverpool and Manchester United, the real biggest clubs. I've taken over not just in America but all over the world we've got fans but but in America there's a huge following and uh, I mean you, you mentioned before about being or you mentioned to me on the phone that uh, you've been out with Peter Mora I saw him I was out with him the night before and uh, are they in Santa Barbara? Yep and they said they'd started one there a Liverpool supporters club and we're lucky that we've got it on our doorstep where people around the world yes they travel here probably two or three times a year but when they want to watch a game, they've got to get up at early hours in the morning. It affects the whole day, maybe the work day. So you think, yeah, we're passionate. We love Liverpool, but you think of some of the uh, the extremes that these people go to, to, you know, to watch the club. Yeah, I was with the Moors in Vegas, and there's a club in Vegas, and you've never seen so many hillbillies coming down from the mountains. <laughs> and you go, oh my word! And it was it was the Manchester game seven nil. Oh, what a time! Yeah. What a time to be allowed. Could have been anywhere in the world. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. How was it? Uh, it was lively. Lively, yes, to say the least. <laughs> Jamie Carragher, you're a nice human being. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Pete. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Why not subscribe? You know it's free. So join us and tell your friends. It's great going on walks and doing whatever you want to do and then putting Pete Price on. We've got a back catalogue of over 100 interviews. Join us. Subscribe. It's free.